from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Good evening and welcome to the legislature today. The West Virginia House of Delegates wasted no time in making changes to the Senate's version of a sweeping education bill. The House Education Committee started the day by unveiling a draft strike and insert amendment. Joining me now is senior reporter Dave Mistich to help with that explanation. Hi, Dave. Hey. Let's begin with what is a strike and insert amendment? Well, I think we all know, understand what a committee substitute is. is the bill gets introduced, it goes to a committee, and they offer their own version. It passes out of that committee and goes out for the rest of the process. A strike and insert amendment is essentially the same thing. The committee would adopt that. They can, they can amend, uh, make amendments to the amendment. Uh, they would adopt that. But the bill wouldn't actually be officially changed until second reading on the House floor. So it's essentially formative up until the point of second reading in the House. So again, kind of like a committee substitute, but not exactly a committee substitute. Okay, we saw two major changes uh, on the House. That's right. First and foremost, I have to mention the non-severability clause. Everyone's heard a lot about this. Uh, that deals, of course, whether or not there would be a court challenge to this bill. Uh, if, if any provision in this bill would have been found unconstitutional, would have been struck down, the entire bill would have been found null and void. Um, that's been removed from the bill. Also removed in, in the strike and insert amendment from the House Education Committee is the paycheck protection provision. That, of course, uh, would have forced union members to sign up annually for the deduction of their union dues. Well, those were the two big ones, but this bill, the omnibus bill, had multiple components. There were other notable changes today. That's right. Um, one of the big ones that we saw today in this uh, in the strike and insert uh, would cap the number of charter schools at six uh, statewide. It would remove virtual charter schools from the bill. Education savings accounts would be limited to parents with children with special needs, uh, direct counseling time with students, is now at 80%, a prior version of the bill, uh, the last one that we've seen, had that at 70% of their, of their workflow. And last but not least, uh, one of the, the, another notable one uh, would be that strike days are unpaid 
unless they're made up. Now, again, those are just some of the big change, some of the notable changes that we've seen. There are others, but those are the ones to kind of get us started as far as where this bill is headed with this uh, strike and insert. And the House uh, Education Committee, they met this morning, they met this afternoon. We heard from uh, Delegate Danny Hamrick, the chairman of House Education. Let's go ahead and, and listen to those comments. This is a this is a starting point. This this piece of legislation in front of us, the strike and insert amendment. Um, you know, it's expected that in meeting with different stakeholders and members of the committee, members of the house, that this document will probably change quite a bit between now and the time that it's voted on, either by changes to the strike and insert or amendments in the committee. Um, so we will you know, we'll give ample time um, at the time the amendment stage does come, we would expect or at least request that any amendments come in written form um, so that it doesn't delay the committee meeting any longer than we have to with conceptual amendments or having counsel to draft them during the middle of the meeting. And as you pointed out, Suzanne, this, this meeting started this morning, continued this afternoon. Uh, Delegate Hamrick, uh, the, the House Education Chair, noted that this was informational only and that you know there would be no amendments, there would be no action necessarily on the bill. Um, council outlined the provisions, some of the, the changes that we noted earlier. Um, this afternoon, they took questions from the committee. Um, it, I also spoke to uh, Minority Chair Sean, Sean Hornbuckle of Cabell County. He's a Democrat. Um, he he expressed some 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 thanks to leadership over over running this bill through the committee process, unlike the way we saw in the Senate but also had some questions about the way the bill, uh, as it currently stands, even with this strike and insert. We'll take a quick look at uh, Delegate Hornbuckle and his thoughts on the bill. I would just again like to tip my hat to uh, Speaker Hanshaw, uh, Mark Dean and Danny Hamrick as chair and vice chair of this committee, uh, being committed, uh, again, to not rushing it through and letting stakeholders be involved to give their say and give their input for the best product. Now we've got to make sure that we're putting our students and teachers and parents first. And again, we want to make sure uh, that we're not just going to give something to 10% of the population, uh, that we're going to do it for all kids and make sure that we can make sure uh, uh, that uh, education system is better for everyone. And we've heard throughout the process the West Virginia Education Association, the American Federation of, of Teachers, the West Virginia chapter, they've been very involved and outspoken on many of these components. What are they saying about what was revealed today? Well, again, I, I want to, the best way to describe it is they, they sort of echoed uh, Delegate Hornbuckle's thoughts on all this. They are very happy that it's running through the committee process and not going to a committee of the whole as we saw over here in the Senate. They are also very concerned. Again, charter school is a big, a big question for them. Education savings accounts. Um, they also have worries about, you know, attacks on seniority. Um, of course, they're okay with the pay raises, but there's a lot more to this bill, as we all know. I spoke with Dale Lee of the WVEA and uh, Bob Brown, who represents the American Federation of Teachers, and uh, here's what they had to say on where they are with this bill right now. Well, there are changes, but the important piece is that the amendments are going to be made during the committee. And to bypass the committee like they did in the Senate, I don't believe that's going to happen in the House. You're going to follow the full committee process in, in the House. Yeah, I guess if I could characterize it, uh, I, we're sort of discouraged by what is still in the bill, but we're encouraged about the process on this side that at least we're going to have an opportunity uh, to have delegates offer amendments which was not necessarily, I mean, there were amendments offered on the other side, but they weren't really considered. It was, it was the bill just about came out on the other side as it went in. So uh, while we're, we're disappointed with what's in the bill on this side, we're encouraged by the process on this side. 
And Suzanne, again, um, the, the leaders of their unions, they're having their local chapters all across the state vote this week whether or not to authorize the state leadership to go ahead and, uh, and call for a strike, leave it in their hands to decide if and when that would be necessary. I understand that some of these, these counties have already voted. Um, others are expected to vote throughout this week. Um, there's supposed to be a statewide meeting in Flatwoods for all these ballots to come to the union leadership and for them to make a decision. Uh, that's supposed to be Saturday. Um, but as of now, the bill is in House Education. Um, it will, we'll see some action on that either way. And then next it's scheduled for a second reference to House Finance. And then if it makes it that far, we'll see it on the House floor. All right, thanks, Dave. Thank you. We'll be back for a discussion on issues inside and outside of the Senate Judiciary Committee in just a moment. But first, these remarks by Republican Delegate John Mant, who voted against tabling the education bill yesterday. Today, he noted his wife is a teacher and that his election was endorsed by Future of 55. That's a political action committee that is opposed to Senate Bill 451. That my teachers taught me that you need, you don't dismiss things, you get to the bottom of it. You collect your information, you do your due diligence, you, you work things out, and by doing those and going through the process, make an educated decision. That's what we're doing. You know, we, we are not 59, we're not 41, we're not 34, and we're not one if we include the governor. There's 135 of us that, that have the ability to make a difference. My goal, and, and in, in looking at this, this bill, I want it to be fair. It's not gonna be great, it's not gonna be bad. I think with what our education committee is doing and, and the qualified people we have serving on that committee to, to bring up the pros and cons of this bill, will put something out to us that is going to be absolutely the best bill it can be. We're not here for teachers. We're not here for students right now. We're here for education in West Virginia. What are we going to do as a state to help all of these people here in West Virginia and our education so when people move here, what are your education systems like? When we wanna get business to come in here, that's a main thing they look at. When they buy a home in your city, what about your schools? We need to pick that up. We have the opportunity to, to actually do something extremely well for everybody, the state, the students, the teachers, the service personnel, everybody together. Join us now are Senate Judiciary Chairman Charles Trump Jr. and Minority Member of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Michael Romano. Thank you both for joining us today. From right to left, I should have said the introduction. Thanks for having us. Suzanne, now, great to be here. Uh, I, I invited the two of you so that we could go through judiciary bills, but you are both uh, members of the Senate Education Committee, and I think it's just uh, natural to get some response about today's action over in the House. Senator Trump, let's begin with you. Well, apparently the House of Delegates, I didn't know uh, what had happened over in the House today until I saw your lead-in segment. So. They are doing what the framers of the Constitution in, intended and working the bill and, uh, and as a step toward rendering their own independent judgment. 
you fought and fought and, and debated and uh, endorsed the non-severability clause on the Senate floor. Um, what it, the, the response, the position of the Senate leadership on the removal of that uh, in the strike and insert amendment? Well, it, uh, we'll have to see what the House is going to do with the whole bill and then uh, when they return <coughs> it to us, amend it in whatever fashion it, it uh, is in uh, when it comes back. We'll work together to make decisions as to what to do in, in reaction or response to that. All right, Senator Romano, um, with the removal of the non-severability clause, uh, the paycheck protection gone, a limit to um, about six, I think they're saying six, charter schools, and the Senate removed the ability of the uh, county boards of education to raise levy rates. How palatable is the bill to you well, now? I mean, you know what our arguments were. We didn't have the opportunity to make any changes in the Senate. I think the House is moving in the right direction. You know, our concern is not, um, you know, protecting any particular interest. We believe in public education. Um, we believe that public education is the only way that all Americans have a chance at the American dream. And certainly the bill that we passed out of the Senate, we didn't think was going to come close to achieving that. What we essentially were saying was we're going to set up a whole new uh, layer of education uh, for, for uh, uh, the select few. And we were going to leave the rest of society to uh, be in a public education system that was going to be underfunded and was just going to be substandard. Our goal has to be to make public education the best that it can be. And I certainly think that the changes that the House made, I had been in contact with the House earlier and heard about some of those changes. I think they're good. Um, I'm still concerned about the money coming out of the public school system for these charter schools. Um, the ESAs have been, I think, very narrowly tailored, which uh, will probably work in, from my estimation. But, but Narrowly tailored that they are now for just special, special needs, needs children. And, and, and I think that's an appropriate uh, carve out of, of our public education students that, that need that kind of help. Um, but at the same time, six charter schools is a lot. You have one charter school in Harrison County that takes 15% of all the high school kids. My five high schools will be operating on 15% uh, uh, less budget, but still have to have the same number of schools, the same number of school rooms, teachers, coaches, cooks, janitors, same maintenance, but with 15% less. It's already a financially starved system. You know, over the last five years, you, I, my, my good friend uh, from Morgan here has heard me complain many times, we're not adequately funding public education, and that creates stresses. We've got almost a thousand uh, positions, teaching positions, that do not have certified teachers in them. That's a sign of that stress, and, and if you keep s stressing any system, it's going to have cracks. And that's what we're starting to see. But you can't point out it at it and say it's a broken system now. Not until you fully fund it and take the measures that we need to to make it the public education system that it was for me and I think for Charlie and, and, and a lot of the people who are sitting in this legislature right now. That's what we have to have. Senator Trump, I'll let you um, uh, wind up our sure. conversation uh, on education. Listen, I, um, Mike and I, Senator Romano and I, have the same goal and that is to make public education uh, as strong as we can make it. It hasn't received a lot of conversation or attention, but there are provisions in the bill that we sent to the House, I don't know whether they remain or not, which will require the state to add substantial funding to the public education system in a number of different areas throughout the state and in different steps of the formula. 
this state legislature over the last 40 years has done a, a really bad thing, which is uh, pushed out to the counties disproportionate share of the responsibility for funding public education. I think Mike and I are in accord on that. Uh, we're certainly in accord on the goal. You know, the goal should be, it is our constitutional responsibility to make public education thorough and efficient for all the students uh, of West Virginia. Uh, we'll have some disagreements over the manner in which that may be best done, but no dispute or disagreement as to the fundamental goal. And the chairman's right. I, I mean, we, we have that same goal. We just don't agree on how to get there. And I certainly think the good things that were in that bill that you're referring to are good things. You know, the, the uh, tax credits to the teachers, the, obviously the 5% raise is a necessity after four years with no raise. I mean, they got to catch them back up to inflation. But we, from our estimation, we should have taken those things separately and not try to include them in a bill that brings about charter schools, something that's been brought up the last five years in a row and has failed every time, uh, to make those not only in the same bill, but, but make them inseparable with that non-severability clause. Hopefully the House is going to get us there and hopefully we'll be able to, to do something with the bill they send back. All right, I'd like to move into the Judiciary Committee, some of the bills that you have um, considered this session. When I asked both of you for your top five uh, bills that you'd like to, to speak to tonight, there was one, only one common denominator, and that was uh, Senate Bill 2, or House Bill 266, the uh, Intermediate Courts of Appeal, uh, the bill that would establish an Intermediate Courts of Appeal. Uh, it has passed out of your committee. It's now in Senate Finance. Uh, this is the second year that you've tried to get this through, Senator Trump. Why is this bill so worth fighting for? Uh, it would, well, let me, let me back up. And I, I'll tell you that uh, this, this starts back probably over 10 years ago when I was uh, not in the legislature. <clears throat> Governor Manchin appointed a commission to study the judiciary. It included uh, a lot of uh, luminaries, uh, both from the West Virginia uh, bench and bar, and uh, also Sandra Day O'Connor, who was a former uh, justice of the United States Supreme Court of Appeals. And they made a number of recommendations about ways to improve West Virginia's judiciary. One of the recommendations was the creation of an intermediate court of appeals. That was a specific recommendation of that committee. And uh, it was one that has never been adopted by the state. Our state constitution is very clear. It gives the, uh, in Article 8, it, it contemplates the creation of an intermediate court of appeals by the legislature. Uh, and I know it's some controversial. Mike is, Mike, my friend Mike is not a fan. He, I'm not a fan. He I thinks it's unnecessary. Fan. Let me make it, if I can, just briefly what I think is the compelling case for it. Um, it would provide for the opportunity in West Virginia of a more expansive body of jurisprudence, and decisional law, and precedent than we have now. Uh, and uh, so the, to me, the question is, you know, whether or not the expense, there would definitely be some expense involved. The fiscal note we have now has the cost between three and four million dollars, and that's a, you know, a serious consideration. But I think it would be worth it. Uh, West Virginia is the uh, largest state in the country that doesn't have an intermediate appellate court. 
All right, Senator Romano, you've been the loudest opponent of this bill. Listen, and, and you know, I, I, my, the senator is my good friend, and, but we disagree on this subject adamantly. And I'll start with this isn't, you know, a decade and a half ago when that, that uh, you know, blue ribbon panel sat down and looked at us. Um, what, what's happened uh, in, most recently in the, in the last few years is that the number of appeals has, has dramatically dropped from almost 3,800 in 1999 to 1,100 last year. Every single appeal gets a review by the Supreme Court. There's a written opinion issued. If there's no new law, it's called a memorandum decision. If there is new law, it's a full-blown signed opinion. And, and to, it's not going to expand the scope of our jurisprudence, the, the scope of our cases by creating an intermediate court of appeals. It's just going to create a different type of opinion being issued. The final say will still be with the Supreme Court. So whatever the intermediate court does will still be up in the air until the Supreme Court speaks to it. Now. $4 million a year, that, that, that uh, fiscal note has dropped from $18 million to $14 million to $12 million. I think it was $6 million when we started. Now it's 3 to 4 and that's still $40 million over 10 years. For an unnecessary layer of government that we're going to create that is going to absolutely add nothing as a litigator, it's going to add nothing but delay to the system. And, and believe me, if I thought this was necessary, and I've, I've told uh, uh, Senator uh, Trump this many times, I would be leading the charge for it. But what it's honestly going to do is do nothing but add additional delay to what is already a long process. Anytime you start a case that goes through our court system, it's purposely a long process so they can come to the right answer. But here we're going to interject another layer of decision making, which, which just is proven not to be necessary and it's going to cost us a whole bunch in taxpayer money. So why would we do it? Um, I've asked that question. Everybody we had come up and testify never really got an answer other than other states have it. Well, I'll tell you the nine states that don't have it along with us all have less than two million in population. And granted, we might be the highest of the ones that are under two million, but we're well under two million and it's just something we shouldn't do. All right, and it, it is in Senate finance, so we'll be following and seeing where that goes. Um, another one that really put the two of you at odds is Senate Bill 258, the, the veil piercing bill. It's a little bit technical, but significant debate between you two in the committee and then out on the floor. It was passed and now it's in House Judiciary. So just briefly, uh, Senator Trump, what does this do? This is, uh, has to do with personal liability. Sure. I um, will take a stab at it and then hopefully not be too esoteric on it. Uh, are you, West Virginia adopted the Uniform Limited Liability Company Act 1996. And the statute in that act that relates to the liability of members says that members will not be liable for the uh, liabilities or obligations of the limited liability company uh, solely by virtue of being a member. And uh, in 2013, uh, our state Supreme Court decided a case, uh, Kubicon is the name of the case, in which the Supreme Court decided, actually in answering a certified question, uh, that it was appropriate to apply the uh, jurisprudence of veil piercing that has been developed as to corporations over the years to limited liability companies. So um, I have uh, believed that that was wrong. This bill would reverse that uh, or nullify it uh, and clarify those areas wherein a member of an LLC uh, would may still be liable, not as a result of 
piercing of a, the veil of an LLC, uh, but for other reasons or under other legal theories for liabilities or obligations of the LLC. I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but we only have a few minutes, so perhaps if we can get Senator, Senator Romano's um, take on it and then, well, and then have you yeah, I think in. I'm ready. Senator I'm ready. Romano, I think hesitate. I think Senator Romano hesitate. has called this the worst bill that the, the Senate has ever passed. It, so it, it truly tell us is. Why. And, and let me start out by saying that no other state in our country has gone this far to give members of limited liability companies absolute immunity. And there's a reason why. It, limited liability companies were created to get rid of the corporate formalities that were necessary to have a corporation. You don't have to have stock shares, you don't have to have minutes, you don't have to have meetings, so forth and so on. It was just a simple uh, simplification of corporations' limited liability veil because that is an important business component. It's a rare thing that is ever done to pierce the corporate veil or the LLC veil. I always presumed our law allowed the piercing of the LLC veil because it's so similar to the piercing of the corporate veil, which has been around for decades and decades. But the reason it's such a bad bill is because it allows bad people to hide behind the absolute immunity of an LLC now who are going to do nefarious things. And the example I always like to give, there's, there's several of them, but you know, an, an opioid manufacturer comes in and forms a West Virginia LLC as a distributor. Uh, you know, regardless of who they put in it, it won't have any assets. They'll sell them the pills that then they'll distribute in throughout West Virginia. And if they do it negligently, if they do it like they've done in our recent past and put nine billion pills in a state of 1.8 million, we would turn around to sue the LLC, but you, you would only have the assets of the LLC available because you wouldn't be able to pierce the corporate veil to get to the member who owns the LLC. And as money comes into the LLC, the member will take it out. That's part of why an LLC was created. It has a partnership taxation form that allows the money to flow out. So what we're going to do is we're going to create an instrument. We're going to create a legal instrument that's going to allow people to come into the state and do bad things. Think about it in the forms of a, of a, of a house. You've got a slum. You don't keep up the house. You put people in it. It burns down. If you kill you know, two of the four family members, the other two, you know what they're going to be able to get? A burned down house on a lot if there's no other assets because they're not going to be able to pierce that veil in such a rare, rare ways as when there's when, when they don't have sufficient money or sufficient insurance to cover the risk of their business. We're going to have to leave the argument there. We're going <laughs> to have to, to bring you, you back. Senator, uh, Judiciary Chairman uh, Charles Trump and Judiciary Committee Member Senator Mike Romano, thank you both for joining us tonight. My really pleasure. appreciate Suzanne, it. Thank you. Please tell everybody I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It's, it's Romano. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you, you very much. Job. Tomorrow on the legislature today, it's Veterans Visibility Day here at the Capitol, and we'll be covering that and much more. I'm Suzanne Higgins for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thanks for watching. Have a great evening.